All right, guys. Um, we're uh, winding down. We got today and next week. Um, I think I think you know. I think a couple weeks ago I said that you know if we don't get through the material, we'll all just pick it up in the fall or whatever. I I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do that. We're going to just we'll do our best to get through it. So um, so with that said, then today uh, is it uh, is section six. We're on uh, like motherhood, and then I think section seven is the bride of Christ. It started on verse. Uh, I'm sorry, page thirty-two. I think is the bride of Christ. Is that right, Nancy? You got page thirty-two yeah. there. Is it page thirty-two or page thirty-three? Bride of thirty-two. So next week, uh, we'll uh, we'll cover that next section that starts on page thirty-two, the bride of Christ. So today. We're going to talk about motherhood and virginity, spiritual motherhood, and uh, whatever the last section was, the, the church's mother, I think. Anyway, anyways, um, so this morning, and I, you know, I started reading, I love this section. This section was very profound for me when I first read it, and I just started like, you know, the highlighter business, right? You ever have those books where you're like, you start out with one, like, sentence, and you're kind of like, oh, this is, a lot, this is really good, but I know I'm not supposed to highlight the whole paragraph, so I'll wait till the next paragraph, and then you run into the same thing, and the next paragraph, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, like, highlighting pages. That's kind of how it was for me. So I just was like, you know, I'm just going to, I got four pages of quotes. Um... Well, like, you know, I don't want to regurgitate this in my own words. I'm just going to leave them. Um, so, with that uh, said, hey, dude, uh, can I get another copy? The, I, no, uh, of the book. She called me dude earlier, so. It's okay, because, you know, Mary and I, you know, that's the kind of relationship we have. It's all right. <laughs> There's no, you don't need to make apology because no sin was committed. All right, I, um, so it, it starts on page 24, and it is page, yeah, it's, it's part six. I, don't, I can't remember if I said that or not. But, um, so now we, we enter into these two, it went, uh, two dimensions of a woman's vocation. Now, the word vocation, what does that mean? Anybody know what that means? The, the word actually means calling, like vocal. But usually, uh, some people kind of see vocations as a kind of a specific sort of thing. So like in certain Christian denominations, especially Roman Catholics, like uh, vocations are often related to what's called holy orders. So like being a priest or a nun. Um, but within Lutheranism, vocation... Every person has a calling, and it's it's uh, a few years ago we talked about finding your spot and working it here at St. John. That's that's your calling, finding your spot and working it. So every woman has two dimensions uh, to their their vocation of, of of you know being a woman's a vocation. I mean, that's uh, in the small catechism, right? We all have a so I have a vocation of being uh, you know man. A vocation of being husband, 
son, dad. You know, so we have all these vocations. Um, so he's highlighting just this one, you know, being a woman. And the two dimensions are motherhood and virginity, which sounds maybe uh, contradictory. But if you read the section, you find out they're actually complementary and enhance one another and are fulfilled. Obviously, there's the example of a virgin mother is, you know, Mary, of course. And uh, so this, this was very helpful for me uh, on a variety of levels. But pastorally, Lutherans aren't really great at cultivating this life for women who are not married, who aren't mothers. And what we read here is that Jesus actually has a really specific and great calling for all women. And they have these two dimensions, motherhood and and virginity. So I I really um, thought this was great. Now, the the reason, though, uh, this is interesting on a variety of levels, kind of academically and biblically, Virginity as a, as a calling in one's life in the Old Testament is not really found. And so when Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about um, this kind of status of life being a, a eunuch for the kingdom, which the church is always kind of uh, associated with uh, being a, vir- uh, a virgin, uh, as, as a calling of life, being, being, being um, I can't remember if he uses the word consecrated in this document, but consecrated, being set apart as this vocation. Um, that, that was kind of radically new within the, the church, because in the Old Testament, that you didn't have that. Now, biblically speaking, why would you not have a woman who remained a virgin in the Old Testament? Biblically, not sociologically speaking, yes, you know, because they didn't have any property rights or anything like that. But think, think biblically. That's right. That's exactly right. So, in the Old Testament, uh, and we see that played out in Sarah and Hannah. You know, what are they praying for? They're praying for a child. Now, a woman in the, in the, in the Old Testament times uh, always had a husband or a dead husband. I mean, or always a widow. Um, so this is something different now. So, so Jesus is, is kind of, actually, this, this, uh, this is good news for every woman now to find out, what her life is as a child of God. Which is exactly what ha- how this section kind of then begins, is that uh, we're reminded of the fundamental reality of, of being a, a, a creation of God, a creature of God. We're created for, for ourselves, meaning we are, we are created for God's, in God's image, and that we were created to be in relationship to another so those two fundamental realities now, how do they get played out in being a woman? Okay, great. All right. Um, 
So there's a quote here on page 25, somewhere on the page. I, I put it in my little handout that I gave. Virginity and motherhood coexist in Mary and her. They do not mutually exclude each other or place limits on each other. Indeed, the person of the mother of God helps everyone, especially women, to see how these two dimensions, these two paths in the vocation of women as persons explain and complete each other. All right, that's really good. Now, because um, we have to, we have to remember this. Okay, um, so you know, okay, so these two dimensions do not exclude each other but complement one another. This statement means that in the church, both are highly valued, not just because the Blessed Virgin embodied them, but because God blessed them in her. Since they are in her, they are in the church. This is my own writing. Exclude or downplay one, then you exclude a gift to the church. Also, since, uh, since they are in her, they are in every woman, woman. But like her, they are based on the work of the Holy Spirit. So, these are gifts. Motherhood is a gift, which we all, like, oh yeah, children are gifts. Yes, okay, which sounds, you know, kind of a little bit like a Hallmark card. But of course, they are gifts, because they're given, and women receive them. And so that, that's one type of motherhood, but virginity is also a gift and at the same time has a motherhood, a way of being mother even as a virgin. Which we'll, you know, hopefully we'll get to today. That's the spiritual motherhood. Which in fact has a wider calling to love a more inclusive, wider, um, a more inclusive calling to love than a motherhood that's based on, strictly speaking, biology, physicality. Which, of course, just by virtue of me saying that, we should have a very, uh, we should put great value on, on all women. No woman should feel excluded, or less than another. Okay, anyway, that's, uh, does anyone have anything to say about that so far? Did anybody, uh, first of all, I don't know if anybody read it, but if, if you did, do you have any questions on this? I'm, so, so why I put all these quotes, so at least you would get to see them. Okay, great. Well, hey, let's, uh, okay. Okay. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's uh, actually, let's just, I'm sorry, let's start at the back. I forgot, I have this right here. I made a little photocopy of something. There's this little card here. It's a nice little card. It's cute, it's a prayer card. And on the back of it is the most important person on earth. The most important person on earth is a mother. This is not, you don't, I mean, I know it's Mother's Day this weekend, but this just kind of works out that way. But, um, this is, uh, this is not just sentimentality, this is the Bible. She cannot claim the honor of having built Notre Dame Cathedral. She need not. It's important. She need not. She has built something more magnificent than a cathedral. 
a dwelling for an immortal soul, the tiny perfection of her baby's body. Yeah, the angels have not been blessed with such a grace. They cannot share in God's creative miracle to bring new saints to heaven. Only a human mother can. Mothers are closer to God, the creator, than any other creatures. God joins forces with mothers in performing this act of creation. And then there's a quote from some cardinal dude. What on God's good earth is more glorious than this, to be a mother? Uh, This is true. And so what we read in the document here, it's actually true for all women. And so I'm just going to jump here. Uh, Maybe we don't need to spend too much time on it. But So how can a virgin be a mother? Well, we see to Mary, of course. But what makes a mother? Well... If you, if you read the document, you realize it's, it's being known by another. Adam and Eve. Adam what? Oh, I can't remember if the translation was. I read it this morning, but I didn't look. I was too concentrated on Luke 11, by the way. I forgot. To... Oh, it did say new. Okay, so the ESV says, Adam knew his wife, and they bore... Their son, Cain. So, this word know or knew in Hebrew is the defining word for having, having, you know, having sex, becoming a mother. But the word for yada or yada um, is not only used for that. There is a saying, uh, St. Augustine says, um, uh, every human desires to, to, uh, be seen by, to see God and to be seen by God. Well, the problem with the word seen is that we can only understand the word see on an outside or um, exterior sense, like I just see outside of me. The word know, though, is not just simply exterior, but primarily interior. So, to become a mother is, is to, be, uh, to know and to be known by another. Of course, within marriage, that, that, that happens when the uh, marriage relationship is consummated. However, Mary, of course, was a virgin. But yet, she was known... She, she was known by God and, and, and knew God. And the faithful response, let it be unto me according to your word. Complete receptivity. And then, of course, Christ indwelled her. So this knowledge then, of course, becomes primary to one's motherhood and gets played out in two dimensions. In the spiritual motherhood, virgin mothers, so I'm just going to say it, I'm just going to call it, call it like that, now still uh, are mothers within the church, but they, like I said before, they have a more in- inclusive calling to love, to love everyone which, of course, is a calling for each one of us, but for those uh, 
spiritual mothers, now you see it embodied in them. Where kind of physical mothers have a, a primary call to love these, these people first, their, their own children, their, their own biological children, physical children. But, but spiritual mothers now have this calling to love this. Hence, the great emphasis in, in the document on virginity. Now, the virginity, if you read it, is not simply a, a no or abstaining from something, but virginity is, is actually primarily understood in saying yes to something. So think about Mary. How was she primarily a virgin? By saying no to Joseph? Or by saying yes to God? Yes to God, of course. Um, and so this is what then defines spiritual motherhood which I think is a very profound reality to understanding who you are, I think, is that when you, so in a, in a very real sense, when, then, when you say yes to, to God, then your spousal love is directly, directly, directed primarily to Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. And so Christ now is the bridegroom of your life. I know that's kind of strange for us to think about because we don't like hearing on the radio, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend type of songs. And that is actually true because that actually weakens or lessens this very deep reality. However, it doesn't change the fact that each one of us has Christ as our bridegroom as our husband. And by that, uh, so for women, especially by virtue of that relation, by that yes, now all women are, is a type of mother. And so, um, so go back to the card now. Mothers, uh, only a human mother can, okay, bring a new saints. So what's, what's interesting about this is that Spiritual mothers are find fulfillment within the church because the church is primarily a mother. They church uh, receives the seed of God in His Word and births children in holy baptism. So, spiritual mothers now participate in this. Uh, everyone participates in this, men, women, everybody, but. Spiritual mothers, the, the, the virgins, now have a very special place in that because they can now participate in everyone coming and bringing that. You know, of course, you know, we see this. We've seen this in reality. I mean, Mother Teresa is probably a, a big example of this. But there are countless other women who have fulfilled this in people's lives. So, um, you know, I think about my own life. My mother helped me, was raised, you know, my mother raised me in the faith. She was very, you know. But I can think about all the other mothers in my life who were my spiritual mothers. And there were some who were not, you know, physical mothers. 
And I think about how they saw themselves. I have no idea because I was too young to, to even think about that. In fact, I didn't really even think about, you know, <laughs> or they were mother. I mean, they, they were just Mrs. Crump, or they were um, uh, Betty. They were Betty. And then there was Mrs. Crump. She was obviously married, had children. But, um, uh, yeah, there was Chris and Viola. Um, you know, so I think about these women who were, I mean, instrumental in my faith formation, and how they help raise me in the faith. So um, this is something that we have to think about and celebrate and uphold because you can have a calling to be virgin and it have as much richness in your life relationally as, as one who's married. With, with a husband. And that's why women are, as the document has said, woman is at the center of the salvation story because she gives birth to the Redeemer. There are a lot of people who have a woman at the center of their salvation story because they were used by God to help birth Christians. All right, well, not to get too academic, but any, any questions or comments on that? I mean, so I'll, well, no, I'll just keep talking about that. So that's why, um, you know, on Sunday we celebrate Mother's Day, which, of course, is a hallmark, you know, it's a hallmark holiday. A little part of me rubs up against it because every day is Mother's Day. But I rub up against it because it is it the hallmark the hallmark holiday actually excludes it's it's exclusive not inclusive. But motherhood, as Christ has defined motherhood, is precisely the opposite. It's completely inclusive to every woman. And I uh, so I, I quoted it in here. The question is, I did not look it up, but. Prerogatives. The word prerogatives is somewhere in here. <laughs> I wish I would have looked that up. But he says that uh, John Paul II says something very nice. Well, you will find it some other time. But what he has um, said for us is really helpful because... Um, being a mother or being a virgin does not exclude your prerogatives of being a woman. Well, maybe I didn't quote it. Okay. Um, so, thank you. Motherhood, oh, yeah, thank you. Motherhood according to the Spirit. It's, I'm just quoting halfway through a sentence. For virginity does not deprive a woman of her prerogatives. I think that's so great because that rubs up against the Hallmark uh, holiday. Spiritual motherhood takes on many different forms. In the life of consecrated women, that's um, 
which I, I, think, I think I would love to entertain the idea. Consecrated women are either nuns or there's something called consecrated virgins within the Roman Catholic Church. It's an old tradition that even in the Roman... There's like, there's, uh, there's like less than 200 in the United States. This is like a thing that they don't do anymore. But it's, it's received a little bit of revival based on what we're reading. In fact, I believe one of our former parishioners said Paschke's daughter is a consecrated virgin. Right? Yeah. She just became one... Oh, it was, okay, within the year. Like 2016. Holy smokes. Um, that sounds really weird to us as Lutherans, right? She basically, there is a, it's a rite, a ritual of celebrating who she already was as a woman. But now she's consecrated, meaning she's set apart and she, she, she's making this public. She's, uh, she has a certain way of living now. And what a consecrated version is basically she is, uh, did, did, did anyone from St. John go to it? No. She did. I literally found this out like last yesterday afternoon. I should have called Val. If you, you should ask Val about it. I would love to hear about it. But I, I believe I've only met one consecrated virgin in my life, and that was at this Theology of the Body Institute. In fact, everybody in the entire place had never met one. You know, I was the only you know, non-Roman, so I felt like, oh, I never met one before. She was from, uh, from Mexico. Anyways, um, the, uh, um, I, I think she dresses up in a wedding dress. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. And it has to be done in a cathedral. It's supposed to be done in a cathedral. You can get special dispensation. And the bishop has to perform the rite. Like a local priest can't do it. Because just by virtue of that, what is, what is just by you looking at the pictures, what do you say? What's happening here? It looks like what? She's getting married. That's exactly what she's doing. Well, yeah, that that's the that's the distinction that gets people most get confused about. Which I is like, well, what is, how is that different than a nun? And everybody in the room didn't couldn't tell me at, at this place in Florida. They're like, uh. <laughs> but um, it's they they take different vows. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, they don't live in, in community. That's right. Yeah, so she she basically says, this is who I am, and I I pledge my faithfulness to Christ himself. Christ is my bridegroom. So, um, the prayers are very interesting. I looked up the ride. Man, this is so great. Because, um, well, it's great insofar as it, it provides, it celebrates, it's a gospel kind of word. This is a gift to you. You're receiving it. Um, it's not so great because then it actually, like, you know, it demand, there's, it's a demanding life because you, do, you, you can't just go on with life as it was, right? I mean, you have to actually embody a certain character, which theoretically all Christians should do, but now it's become public and accountability becomes very accountable. Okay, anyhow, that's beside the point. <laughs> Over something about the
Yeah, uh, yeah, very well could have been. I, I, uh, I did not read that book with you guys, but probably. Oh, yeah, there's, there's uh, so famous consecrated versions, in, especially in December. December 12th. I mean, uh, 13th. <laughs> December 13th. St. Lucy. She's a famous consecrated virgin. St. Agatha, St. Agnes, St. Lucy... Uh, boy, Felicity, maybe. Uh, but yeah, but there's a lot of famous early church martyrs who were, yeah. Yeah, Marilyn. When I was a child growing up, most of my neighborhood was Catholic. Mm-hmm. I went to the local Catholic school. Right. You'd see the nuns around town, and at that point in time, they always wore the habits and everything. Mm-hmm. And they wore a plain gold ring right. on their finger, like they were married. That's right. Is that, well... That's the same. So nuns are different than consecrated. They, they both have the vow of chastity towards Christ. But you don't see that so much anymore. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm not Roman Catholic, so I don't know. Yeah, you don't see too many nuns. Yeah, no, no, but they, uh, yeah, they theoretically should have a ring on still. <laughs> yeah, now this is, this is, okay, great. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Roman Catholics. The whole point, though, is, is that this idea that is, is that it, it embodies something that's actually true for us, and it, it, it is a gospel kind of word, and I, I just would love to do, to kind of think about it, because it doesn't leave any woman out. It, it, it actually, not... It's it would be it's hard now if this is part of our life together to say the these are the places for women. Everybody knows what's happening, and, and I think it's I think it's just a great idea. I haven't I haven't thought about it too much because I never heard of it until last November. <laughs> so at least I wasn't the only one. So. Um, Anyways, okay, so, but the thing is, though, is that as a consecrated virgin, though, they, they do take on now this spiritual motherhood, that this is part of their calling about raising children in the church, becoming mother in the church. Um, yeah. I, I think it's just a great way of celebrating women. Donna. Um, are not deepness teachers of the schools? Are they not consecrated? No, 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 not because uh, uh, they're installed, but they do not make any vows. They don't take any vows. Deaconists sort of do, yeah. Teachers don't. But um, I should say that. Every, everyone takes a vow. I mean, we all take vows when we're baptized, right? I mean, but uh, this would be a specific sort of vow, yeah. Yeah, so we all make promises. Confirmation, right? We we make vows, we make promises. Yeah. So um, these are these are different, and and, and they're uh, again, we don't have to do it. It's it's uh, it's not like it's prescribed by. There's no mandate by Christ to do this. This is a, just a, a very, I think, a very nice tradition to uh, to kind of consider. Um, yeah, like for instance, uh, you know, because within in most Protestant churches. Um, there's really, it's hard to find a place for a woman who's not married. Yeah? They used to teach Sunday school when I was a kid. Well, right, so they're, they're regulated, yeah, they, they, they'll be given certain positions. Why were they? Let's ask you that. 
I have a feeling it's because they didn't have any children. I would be interested to find that out. They went to the mission field, and I'll tell you. Oh, good. Anything would have been done. Yeah, see, this is great. And so this is great, Nancy. Your, your great example is that how many years has it been, and now we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking about this. We're not advocating this sort of calling in life for young women, right? So, I mean, I think this is a way of, of actually... Yeah, I can't remember if I told you a story. So at this, uh, this uh, Theology of the Body class I went to in November, you know, there were 70 people there, and um, all different ages... The youngest, you know, were like in their early 20s. The oldest were like in their 70s. Um, they were married, non-married. There was a consecrated version. There was a nun. There was priests. There was, and then there's those two, the two, two other guys, me and this other guy from Washington, state of Washington. And at the end of the week, we, we had like testimonials, which I felt like, oh, geez, like <laughs> a lot of touchy-feely stuff. And, of course, I had to go speak. Everyone expected Marcus. So I, I came up, and I kind of, I, I was the first guy to speak. They all wanted to hear from me first. And I, I kind of was, like, I wanted, I had a great week. It was very profound. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, I kind of was making light of, you know, the fact I was the Lutheran guy. And, and then, like, a few speakers later, all of a sudden it got real serious. And then, and then uh, a little bit later, a young lady stood up. And I, I just, I, I was, like, at this point, I was like, oh, man, I'm, a, I'm kind of a jerk, thinking about everything about, you know, this is kind of silly. But a um, young lady stood up, and she had to have been in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. And she saw her life as like a big no. Like meaning uh, people have said no to her, mainly men. And her place in life... Uh, being a vir- you know being non-married, being a, a virgin was a no. She had no yes in her life until that week, and she stood up and she told. I mean, she bas- I mean, she poured out her, her heart and soul, and she said, you know, but after this week, I, I realized that this is this this is a, this could be a gift for me, and I have to think about this, and uh, or contemplate this. I think she's discern. I think might be the word actually discern this, and God has granted me great. Peace and contentment. And I mean, there was, it, was, it was very quiet because, um, you know, no one really kind of thought about that. She thought she was missing something, and she wasn't because she had Christ. And she could be wife, she could be mother. Because in her body, in her, she knew this is what she, because she was a woman. This is part of who she was. And uh, she, she could find fulfillment of that, those prerogatives in Christ. It was great. I always remember that. Uh, did I always tell you, though, that like, this was like, probably the most beautiful group of people I've ever been a part of? Uh, and I always think, man, I'm like, Again, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, boy, she just needs to come up to St. John, and I'm, there's a lot of plenty, plenty of young men who would <laughs> marry you in a second. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I, I felt really out of place because, well, anyways.
everyone was used to the, it was in Miami I said this right so there was like two people from the north uh, yes I didn't get sunburned that week because it was all inside but um, <laughs> anyways okay um, yeah I, so anyways so like yeah so this is what you know Donna you asked about deaconesses and teachers it, it, it it's not it's not like this it's it's, it's something where we we have to do something better. Yeah. But, um, okay, great. I did want to, I mean, knowledge, so kind of going back to what I said before, this understanding of knowledge is really helpful for us because it does help our relationship. Is um, Knowledge is not just strictly a a mind thing, but it's 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 a whole body experience. And so Adam and Eve know each other. And in getting to know each other, then they, they become that one flesh. So, of course, in the Lord's Supper, Christ knows us and we know Christ bodily. And, of course, then we become one flesh in the Lord's Supper. I think that is something that is kind of fundamental to us in our life together. And so that's why uh, the Eucharist is often understood in terms of consummating our relationship with God. So, um, which is really helpful for us to kind of understand my, uh, also my, my fatherhood. So, I know we're talking about mothers, but uh, my fatherhood. So how does Jesus show his in the Lord's Supper, how does he show his, his uh, paternal or his fatherhood? It's precisely by giving his body. This is my body. And how we kind of exemplify our, the motherhood is by receiving Christ's body. And then we go out and we live it. We live with this seed in us to share mission to share that same uh, word of God and then when that seed is shared where where the, the those people who receive it now come back into the church to be what to be baptized to be birthed into this new life as children of God um, so th- these are um, you know, part of the uh, spousal love that God has for each one of us. And uh, it's, you know, it's things to think about. Because I, th- I think it's, it's really helpful for me as a dad, and it's helpful for me to see my wife. So, okay. Um, this is uh, pretty confusing stuff, isn't it? All right, the, um, the, the other thing, too, now, I wanted to read in the chapel from Luke 11. Sorry, where was this? Page 25, I think, right? Or on page, maybe top of page 28. Um, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke 11, 27 through 28. Um, or is it on the bottom of page 27? Or it's both places, probably. All right, it starts on the bottom, page 27. 
Does not Jesus bear witness to this reality, that is, um, to this motherhood, when he answers the exclamation uh, of that woman in the crowd who blessed him for Mary's motherhood, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that you sucked. Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what Jesus does here, according to this interpretation, which I've heard before, um, is that uh, he affirms, yeah, the reality that he was, his, his mother birthed him, but he also then deepens this motherhood by saying, blessed are, is, rather blessed are the one who hears God's word and keeps it. Now, how does that both affirm Mary's motherhood and then actually affirm anyone's motherhood here? Because what about, I mean, how does this embody Mary? What did she do in order to be mother of God? Or what happened to her? Yeah, she heard the word of God and kept it. Yeah, unfortunately, some people, when they see that, they see that as antithetical toward one another. Like Jesus is downplaying the motherhood of Mary. Now he's actually explaining it. It's not that she physically bore him that's primary. It's that she heard God's word and kept it that's primary. Okay, again, then that becomes inclusive of all women who hear the word of God and keep it. That's precisely how women become mothers. Because within keeping God's word, hearing God's word and keeping it, each woman has now two dimensions to, to play out that motherhood. There's no option, necessarily. Every woman is a mother. I think I've said this before. This is how you are a mother, is the question. Ali. Yeah, on a certain level, but again, uh, so within the church. So at, at the very end of the document on page 31, um, I'm sorry, it, it starts on 32, but the title of it is on 31. My little children with whom I am again in travail. Who, who quoted that? Who says that? The Apostle Paul says that. So the Apostle Paul applies what to himself? Motherhood. So, yes, it applies to men. However, within the context of the analogy of the church. And that's uh, the last two paragraphs on page 32, which I think I quoted the entire ones in that little handout I have. So, yeah, so, again, this is where men can sit in awe of women and, and say, you're the most important person on earth. And in that, it's not sentimentality. It's true. Because men see that and know that that's not what I have. I don't have that relationship with God. I have a different relationship which is just as good and true and appropriate. But on another level, it's, I, I celebrate women's relationship with God because that's how God ordered it. 
So I don't celebrate, I don't, I'm not jealous of it. I'm happy for it. You know, yeah, so, okay. So, you know, Paul uses motherhood to talk about how he relates to his, his, his uh, spiritual children. Not only, though, he also, he also mentions fatherhood, too. But, yeah. Yeah, Julie. I think I'll read all the YouTube sections that does together talk Yeah, right. Yeah, he doesn't do it in here. He he just he just says uh, cross reference. So he mainly talks about Jesus's words in Matthew 19 about being a eunuch for the kingdom, and 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 so he does this later, which is I feel like it's probably a better way to say it. So Paul in First Corinthians basically says. Being, being a virgin is better than being married. Being celibate is better than being married. And uh, when we hear that as being better, we think in terms of absolute terms. Like, those who are married have a lesser calling in life. No. That's, that's, that would be then, well, that would go against Genesis and, you know, for most of the biblical witness. Yeah, right. So, so what exactly? So what he's what? So, so I don't think uh, that's why he doesn't really say this in here because they would get off onto this tangent. He'd have to explain it, and he does that in a different document, though. But what what he basically how he uh, interprets Paul's words is is that it's better insofar as it's it's more inclusive, but not better in terms of the one who is married and has children, has something less. Yeah, the word better is, is uh, you know, the Greek usage and the English usage. Uh, yeah, well, they, they need to be distinguished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I had meant to think about, uh, say that, because he just, he just crossed, he says, you know, CF abbreviation, the Corinthians text. Um, yeah. Again, so that would be the pendulum swinging the other way, though. And we find that in, during the Reformation time, where holy orders were put above just married life, home life. And this is one great thing about Luther, is Luther says, unfortunately, we misinterpret this. He, he, he says, you know, monastic life... Uh, well, he gets real hard on monastic life because of this emphasis at being better. But he actually, what he does is he doesn't downplay monastic life as much as he uplifts home life. And that's really important for us because all those expectations of nuns and monks at that time, he just applies to the family, which, uh, which requires a great spiritual discipline and integrity. Because back in those days, you know, they, they, I mean, Christians really didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to know anything, right? There's a story about Luther going throughout all the country, and nobody knows, like, even ba- the Ten Commandments or the Lord's Prayer. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, like, non-Christians know that stuff here. <laughs> you know, I mean, can you imagine a Christian nation not knowing these things? Well, why didn't they? Because, well, the priests kind of knew them. 
So Luther's like, no. Creation of the small catechism, right? That is to bring up, and of course, every title, uh, every heading of each chief part is what? The head of the household is to teach these things. Just like the head of the, the monastery is to teach these things. It's like basically the father and mother become abbot and abbotess of their home. So, um, which, is, uh, which is a great thing because, you know, we have a lot of great things from the Reformation that we should be thankful for. So, yeah. Good question. Any other questions uh, we should get going? Pastor, I think that second to the last paragraph. Yes. On 32 or whatever? Or uh, on, my, on my handout? Yeah, okay. Because Mary was able to respond because of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And you mentioned First Corinthians 6. 17, yes, right. Yeah, and, and again, um, thinking about the Annunciation, uh, so, uh, you know, I didn't page these numbers. So it would be uh, the third page. Women called from the very beginning to be loved and to love in a vocation of, to virginity find Christ first of all as the Redeemer who loved until the end through his total gift of self. And they respond to this gift with a sincere gift of their whole lives. They thus give themselves to the divine spouse and this personal gift tends to union which is properly spiritual in character through the Holy Spirit's action a woman becomes one spirit with Christ, the spouse. Emphasis on, yep. Yep. So this is, uh, I mean, that's precisely what the Annunciation does, right? So, um, you know, I know it's been very hard to talk about Mary a lot, but um, it's, she's a good example. You should just think about it. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, next section, uh, section seven. Next week is the last week.